Hello world and welcome to another very spooky episode of Here's a Guy. Uh, it's week three of Mayhem Month and we are so happy to be back here with you. This is Alex coming to you from St. Louis. I am joined by my uh, usual cast of characters featuring um, uh, two guys and, and multiple cats currently. <laughs> um, the first of which, uh, the guys that is, is uh, Cody coming to us from Illinois. Cody, how are you? Good, good. Um, yeah, it's been a uh, long week, but uh, I actually decided to take Monday and Tuesday off of work just to burn a little vacation time. And Alex, I was waiting for the episode to show you this, uh, something that I think you'll enjoy. This is uh, what I'm going to be doing. Oh, that's that, that's going to be that's going to be a fun couple days. The complete series of uh, Tales from the Crypt. So uh, yeah, that uh, that should be a lot of fun as well. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's uh, that's a classic like camp spooky thing, and we we've talked a lot about camp spooky because we love camp spooky on this Mayhem month. So I thought that kind of fit the fit the bill. Camp Spooky, not a camp that I would ever want to go to. Um, I mean, it's like that is a, th a trope in like Scooby Doo and shit like that, yeah. or in in another series of books slash TV, which I think we're going to talk about here in a bit. But you know, when the place is called like you know Spooky or Evil or Nightmare or Skeleton, yeah, don't go to that place. Uh, guys, we're Skeleton. gonna we're gonna we're gonna go to. Uh to this new place it's called club fright <laughs> welcome to camp skeleton <laughs> jesus christ who would even name a camp that what could that my, even be my goal now is to open up a uh a cemetery called camp skeleton what if it's just like a summer camp for orthopedists <laughs> It's it. Jack John, the counselor, is that uh that guy from that I talked about a couple weeks ago, the grave robber guy. <laughs> oh no. God, no! Please, no! He's not allowed near graves or children. Yeah, Carl Tanzler uh, is not a <laughs> a camp counselor that uh, I think would fit in anywhere. Well, what what is he possibly going to counsel you on? Is the thing <laughs> like like what what advice does he have to give a person? Pro like what proper use of a shovel? <laughs> I guess. In the sense that he's like good at it, although no, it, I don't even think it was that. It wasn't like an above ground mausoleum. Oh, yeah, that he, yeah, just, like, right. yeah. he just the, like walked the, into and, and the, took the thing out of there. The only thing he's going to counsel you on is how to like groom a dying person. Yeah. Well, I think I think it's post dying. Uh, maybe that's what. Maybe odor control is his <laughs> the merit badge you get from him. He's got a wicked Febreze combination. <laughs> Uh, we're also joined by Jack John in Indianapolis. Jack John, what's up? I'm I'm doing good. I going back to that that episode, the first week of Mayhem Month. I can't remember a time where I just said no so many times while you were presenting more and more ideas. So I, I hope we can continue that at some point. Um, of me just being vehemently opposed to every new piece of uh, information you tell me. But other than that, I'm doing good. Mm -hmm. Um. Well, Jack, hold that thought for later. God damn it. <laughs> so I've got another one with some twists and turns, uh, as does Cody. I want um, an as on do the you, rails. as a matter of fact. I, I want an on the rails show. Just just so once. I, I, I know what month it is. I try to. I know that Alex is familiar with my topic this week. Jack, uh I never did get a chance to ask you, have you ever heard this uh story before? I I don't think so. There's sometimes like I'll know like 
small small nuggets of like the like the main part but a lot of the times i'm very in the dark of like what makes it a truly good story this is very rare. I actually am familiar with both of your stories coming in this week, but they are both yeah. very good stories, so yeah. I'm excited about it. Um, it is Mayhem Month. Jack John, by the way, is basically trying to... He's basically trying to, like, will his way into ending this. Because he did say <laughs> in the group chat this week, to cap off Mayhem Month, despite the fact <laughs> there is very much plenty of time left in the month of October. Well, so. I mean... When this, when I guess, I guess I forgot there's a whole other fourth week. Look, man, time isn't real. I have a child. I'm just, I'm just waiting until he's 18. <laughs> well, good no, luck to that. No, on, honestly, like the last, like if you'd asked me okay. the day of the week at any point in the last like six months, I'm basing it entirely on if here's a guy that's happened or not. Like that's my like barometer of a week, oh. despite my like actual work week. So if I'm looking forward to next week, there's like, there's no judge on what time that is. <laughs> Well, we're, we're recording a day late today, yeah. so did that, like, completely fuck up your whole week? I think that, too. I think I was, like, looking a week ahead, but also using that week to look a week ahead. So I thought we were going to be in November for next week, but we're not, because I'm stupid. But, you know, it is what it is. That is true. You have you have an infant, <laughs> and you work from home. T- like, yeah. time does not move in the same I, way for you that it does I, for everybody else. I, I leave my house to pick my kid up from daycare or to go buy groceries. It's It's very rare that I'm leaving my house to do something else. Must uh, must be must be such a such a burden to not have to you go know, anywhere. It is it is it a it is uh, a prison of my own choosing. Look, you you don't have to wear pants to work. Is all I'm saying. I don't like, wear pants for this show. Yeah, but I mean, we don't have to do that either. <laughs> I do uh, have to do that when I go to the office, though. My so I've been told. I and this is real. I've I've lost a bunch of weight, but also. Um, up until like two weeks ago, I had zero pairs of pants. <laughs> I, 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 I wear sweatshorts the entire day, every day. So, um, how's everybody's October's going? It's spooky <laughs> season. We, we talked about, uh, we talked about how much we enjoy this. Anybody been getting into any, uh, uh particular Halloween festivities? You know, I've been, uh, just doing my, my horror movie <laughs> list. Um, I haven't, you know, obviously the Halloween parties, uh, I actually haven't known anybody or been that close to anybody who's had a Halloween party these last, uh, two years. So, uh, it's been a little bit sporadic whether I really get to celebrate fully or not, but, um, yeah, I've been, uh, definitely watching a lot of horror movies. Um, we talked about it a little bit. One segment of the horror movie oeuvre i guess that we didn't get to cover is this year i decided to go back and watch the like essential universal monster movies i have a blu-ray box set oh yeah god damn so good so fun that's another one of every few episodes we have something like this where i can give insight having grown up around you that there, there there's something that you've always been very interested in that a lot of people probably wouldn't know, but the, the classic universal monster movies is one of those. You've always enjoyed those. And I think that tracks with all the other shit that I like. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's goofy and kind of spooky and also, you know, a a little bit silly and campy and fun. Like that's, that's kind of, that's kind of my thing. I think, I think that's where I land as far as most pop culture goes. 
Yeah, being a large being that has claws, it would it would make sense that you would enjoy watching movies about big beings with large claws. <laughs> and for more on that, uh, <laughs> check out our Patreon because yes. uh, we, we, we have something little... along those lines coming up soon. Yeah. We are doing another movie review, and I guess we can go ahead and spoil what it is, because I did it on Twitter last night while I was watching it, talking to our friend John Fleming. Um, I kind of just said fuck it, because by this point I was reasonably drunk. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we are watching uh, The Howling New Moon Rising, which I think is the sixth or seventh yeah. Howling movie. Um, that entire series is garbage. It's it's really bad, but this one is widely considered to be by far the worst. Um, it is one of the it is one of the worst movies I've ever seen, and I'm I'm not kidding in the slightest. Uh, I watched it again last night. I hated every second of it. So uh, I not, neither of you guys have watched it yet, uh, from what I understand. So I cannot wait to hear your reactions. I've been putting it off. That this might be the movie where I actually start heavily drinking again. Mm-hmm. Uh, based on everything I've heard about it, um, our friend Pookie gave me like a big like 32-ounce beer uh, for his wedding. I might have to bust that out for this, because it sounds like it's just going to be awful. You'll need every drop of it. Every <laughs> fucking here, drop. Here, here's the thing, and, and you know we'll have more to say about this when we record. I was... When you first brought this idea up, you actually brought this up like a couple months ago for for this would be a movie that we can review in October. And I was thinking like, well, you know, it, it's like a bad, stupid horror movie. There's tons of those. I mean, um, it is. But and like, you know, but I can handle that. But yet you sent a text earlier this week with some background that we need to know to watch this that has me severely dreading what this is going to be like. I, I read your text. I'm like, oh, fuck, this is going to be. Next level uh, bad. Uh, what what I will say, I sent that before I watched it again, and what I told you I was slightly concerned about happening, uh, you don't really see that happen. So that well, even just the even just, just the, the premise. premise. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> God. So it's 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 um it, it makes it, there's some things that happened that there is no reason for whatsoever <laughs> and that's that's what i'm waiting for you guys to see i i don't want to tease it too much i want this to be as organic a reaction as as, uh, as it can be other than knowing what the base of the movie is i'm going in completely blind and that terrifies me more than anything can't wait who is the uh was that terrell suggs or bart scott who did can't wait is that th- bart scott he's insane I think it was bart scott yeah yeah. And for more on insane football players, uh, we'll check in Jack John's topic <laughs> later. Um, oh, boy. <laughs> you know what's crazy is during the days when those two were on the uh, Ravens linebacking core, neither of those two was even the most psychotic player <laughs> in that group. Because yeah, Ray no, Lewis one of the others, was in yeah. that group. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The one of the others, the guy. yeah. there was a murderer among them. Yeah. yeah. It, it's like it's like when you talk about like my or uh, Florida University, and you're like, there were some crazy people on that team, and Aaron Hernandez. Yeah. Will, uh, Will yeah, for God's sake. Yeah, one of the guys on <laughs> that team we talked about on yes. the show, and it wasn't Aaron Hernandez. <laughs> um. So what else has everybody been up to for for spooky season? Do we have pl- any plans coming up for the next couple weekends? Yeah. Uh, I've 
um, taken my yearly tradition of playing uh, some scary video games, which have been fun. Uh, we played on Friday the 13th, I played a game called Devour, which is basically just like run around this haunted house while something tries to murder you. Uh, it's like a party game. It was a ton of fun. Played it with some some friends on stream. I don't know if you guys play horror games, but like for me at the end of the day, with the exception of like the alien video games, horror video games are just funny to me because dying in a video game is just always hilarious to me. Mm-hmm. And even when it's like a jump scare, I end up just laughing at it. I don't know about you guys. I've never actually played this game, but I saw someone one time playing the Friday the 13th uh, yes. horror, which is literally just see how long you can survive before Jason catches up to you and kills you. Yeah. Because that it, it's inevitable. It literally always happens, yeah. but uh, that one to me was kind of hilarious. This isn't a horror game, but I will say I have recently been playing uh, the Arkham series for the first Ooh. time. That's a good one. And there's some spooky shit in there. Uh, oh, yeah. There is a, in Arkham Asylum, which is the first one, which I'm still on. I don't play video games yeah. quite as frequently as some folks. So, But uh, there is that sequence with the Scarecrow yeah. where you're you're in the, the dream and you're trying to hide from the giant <laughs> Scarecrow monster. Yes. Fucking brilliant design. Yeah. It's so goddamn creepy and cool. I don't remember if it's in the first Arkham game or the second one, uh, but the Killer Croc level is like known to be just absolutely fucking terrifying, uh, just because you're basically just getting like hunted while you're in the sewers, and Croc mm-hmm. is just like lurking underwater the entire time. Yeah, great games, also. Yeah, yeah, I'm loving it so far. I've been I've been trying to get through my October watch list, and um, I, I haven't watched a ton of movies yet, but I've gotten through a lot of specials um but for the last week or so um sarah and i have been watching uh i i I talk i've talked about this series so much just because i i love it with every fiber of my being i love it the mid 90s goosebumps tv series um obviously you know being being the age that we are the goosebumps books were huge Oh, and we were a kid. There's, you know, hundreds of them at this point. Um, R.L. Stein is a goddamn genius. Yes. Not everybody remembers. Of course, there's there's um actually a new series coming out. Um, or it's a few episodes are out. I think they're dropping them sporadically. Um, on some streaming service. I, I don't know if it's uh, it's Disney Plus. Disney Plus. Yeah. And uh, there, then there were the recent movies with Jack Black, but. Um, not everybody remembers in the mid nineties, there was a, it was either ABC or Fox kids aired this. I Fox. think it was Fox kids. Pretty sure it's Fox. Um, and it's just, there's a TV show and the episodes would of course be based on individual episodes of goosebumps. Some would be like two parters. Some would be one parters, just unbelievably good mid nineties camp. It's incredible. It's super um, Canadian. <laughs> Very Canadian, Extra- extraordinarily Canadian. They're not so Canadian uh, that they say a boot, but they do all say sorry. That gives it away. <laughs> um, but super Canadian show. Uh, uh, Ryan Gosling, one of his very first appearances of the thing was in uh, the episode "Say Cheese or Die." Yes. Um, and uh, Adam West was in an episode as well, I believe. Um, but yeah, Cody and I's we're actually. 
this is even slightly before our time because it was like you know we probably just weren't old enough to be watching these but then they started re-releasing some of the episodes on vhs tapes and we had those and would just watch them you know until they fell apart basically um so but sarah had never seen any of these so i was gonna go through it and, and kind of share hers and some of my thoughts because i i do watch these every october they took the main series off of Netflix other than the specials, which are some of the best ones. I mean, it has like the haunted mask, the werewolf of fever swamp. Um, so you can still watch those, but, but, um, thankfully somebody was nice enough to, uh, um, sorry, I started playing the theme song there for a second. Also (laughs) one of the best theme songs of all time. Um, but somebody was nice enough to bootleg all the other episodes, uh, onto YouTube. So I've been watching those. Um, so I don't know how much you remember about these, but we did watch, um, I think last year we watched The Haunted Mask and uh, The Night of the Living Dummy, uh, The Night of the Living Dummy 3. We watched those last year, actually. Um, this year we've watched The Werewolf of Fever Swamp, which is my favorite. Yeah, that's a really um, good one. We watched Welcome to Dead House, parts that's one a, and that's two. That's one, cl- one of my favorites, too. Yeah, that's a classic. We, we did Stay Out of the Basement, uh, Werewolf Skin. I love Werewolf. That one might be my favorite of all time. Uh, Welcome to Camp Nightmare, which I won't say too much about because I think we might just have to review this one at some point because it's so fucking good. It's just insane from start to finish um, and so good. But then we also watched uh, The Girl Who Cried Monster and Piano Lessons Can Be Murder, which is also just Ooh. completely bonkers start to finish. Um so do either of you have any particular memories about those episodes or were there any others that, uh, uh, that you've seen that stick out to you or even uh, the, just the books? Cause they, the they one, usually stay kind of true to the books at least. The one that I remember, uh, as far as TV episodes go, the book was really good too. But the one I remember as far as TV episodes go, I remember when I was a kid, they used to rerun these on Saturday mornings every once in a while and this was the one that got me thinking, like, oh, this is really cool. Uh, Phantom of the Auditorium. Oh, Ooh, we watched that yeah. one as well. Yeah, I forgot about that. Because this, so, this is yet another thing that, that I can mention that you, you've always liked. You've always liked the Phantom of the Opera as a story. You've always been The story, yeah. I, I actually, I, yeah. I am one of the only people I know that has read the actual uh, Gaston LaRue <laughs> Phantom of the Opera novel. Um. As far as Phantom of the Opera movies go, so we talked about those uh, Universal monster series. There was a Phantom of the Opera one in there. It completely deviates from the traditional story. It is very good, though. Um, I saw uh, years back, I think it was in high school, I think maybe IFC was running it, the original silent Phantom of the Opera with Lon Chaney Mm -hmm. Sr., and I tell you, for a silent movie, that fucking slaps. It really is creepy as shit. Um, so, so going through some of our recollections, I mean, like, some of the best. The Haunted Mask is amazing. Night of Living Dummy is great. Um, we haven't watched this one yet this year, but A Night in Terror Tower could stand alone as a pretty decent short yeah. movie. Um. The Werewolf of Fever Swamp is my favorite all time. This has actually been Sarah's like least favorite because she Boy. hated the family so much. Yeah, they they're so suck. fucking obnoxious <laughs> to insist, continuing to insist to this kid that there's no werewolf, even though there's clearly a werewolf. Yeah. 
They're they're really outrageous. I I we should just do a ranking of most obnoxious siblings in Goosebumps <laughs> oh. stories. That one has one of the worst. Oh Jesus mm. Christ! There's some uh, yeah. There's some truly horrendous siblings <laughs> in uh, the Goosebumps stories. Um, yeah, I I. I and it was in the books too, so I kind of I remember reading that and wondering like, what did Arl Stein just really not have a great relationship with his brothers and sisters? Yeah, and this is just the series is just one long continuous fuck you. Or <laughs> yeah, almost it, it's every really odd. almost every Goosebumps story will feature one of at least one of three things: either a family is moving to a new town, there is an obnoxious sibling. Or the parents are scientists. There's a lot of parents who are scientists, even when it's not a critical plot point, like in <laughs> Stay Out of the Basement. Yeah. Um, but there, there is a lot of that. But to that first thing, like another classic Goosebumps trope is like they move to the place where they like really should know that they shouldn't be going here. Like, <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. like, a, well, the kid's going to Camp Nightmare, although yeah. it's called Night Moon in the story, I guess, in fairness. But... Um, as opposed to all those day moons you see yeah there it is <laughs> but in um welcome to dead house they moved to a town called dark falls it's yeah. fever <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah and like one of the first things they learn is like one of the, the lines it's that that weird kid says uh they say there's a fever that comes from this swamp like no fucking shit yeah. that's probably why they called yeah. it that yeah it's it's like when you willingly move to silent hill expect to die like i don't know what you want from this yeah. I wonder if the fever of Fever Swamp can be cured with uh, more cowbell. <laughs> you gotta go to Cowbell Hill for that. <laughs> but some of these are, are truly, truly bonkers. Um, but even just to see the fits that these people are wearing, it's so 1995, yeah. all of it. It's, oh, it's yeah. really tremendous. Um, let's. I, I have a play, I think next up um, on the list, there's the Cuckoo Clock of Doom we're going to get to. Say cheese and die, forever. of course. Yeah, I don't even remember too much about the Cuckoo Clock of Doom. I'll have to watch that one. That one's like kind of an interesting time travel sort of thing. Oh, weird. Yeah. Um, oh, um, speaking of movies that uh, uh, are kind of in the spooky mode, uh, and you brought up time travel, one of uh, if I think it's on YouTube, but there's a mini series version of it if you'd rather watch it than read it. But there's a Stephen King novella called The Langoliers that has a time travel. Uh, this is a mild spoiler, but has a time travel component in it, but it does it in a completely different way than you normally see time travel work. That's one I might suggest that we review at some point. Hmm. Okay. Time travel movies, there's a very wide variance. I mean, they can be yeah. good, but a bad time travel movie is is truly horrendous. And I know this from how much MST3K I've watched. Yeah, yeah. Uh, A bad time travel movie has the kind of subplot where you fuck your grandmother. Well, <laughs> there is that. Gotcha, Michael J. Fox. Because you don't I have think, enough problems. I think, life, I think life got Michael J. Fox. Because um, yeah. he fucked his grandmother. <laughs> I guess... Maybe there is some karma involved. <laughs> no, that's not nice. Um, so, uh, anything, any, anybody have anything yeah. else going on for for yeah. Halloween season? Uh, I will. I will say some of my. I never watched like the the series as much for um, 
goosebumps, but I had the books and some of my favorites I wanted to shout out. We've said Say Cheese or Die like a hundred times. Um, but Haunted Mask, absolutely classic. Oh, Tremendous. Um, Welcome banger. to Dead House, as we've said. And then one of that my favorites. one, I think. A haunted, the Haunted Mask or Welcome to Dead House? I think Welcome they were to one. Dead House. Welcome yeah. to Dead House, I think, was yeah. one. I think and right. then one that I absolutely loved going back to, uh, One Day at Horrorland was amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's um, a good one. And then not a Goosebumps book, but I do want to shout out one for my kid that I like, explicitly remember reading a shit ton when I was real little. Um, the New Kid from the Black Lagoon and like The Teacher from the Black Lagoon and that entire uh, series, uh, which is basically just like really artsy kids book, but like you add in like mild monsters. Uh, Teacher from the Black Lagoon specifically is one that I had, uh, like an old Scholastic book. So, so good. And like a fun little kid's read. I might need to get it for JT. Sounds vaguely familiar. That seems yeah. like something. So, so Teacher is like a crocodile and it's just like weirdly spooky, but like made for like small children. Do you guys remember there was uh, like multiple different Goosebumps series outside of the original? Uh, there was yeah. like Goosebumps 2000. Do you remember the Choose Your Own Adventure ones? Oh, yeah. Those yeah. were trippy as fuck. Oh, yeah. Yeah, R.L. Stein is a complete madman. You have to understand that. And, like, in but some of those. But so lovable. Oh, absolutely lovable. As far as I know, he's, like, pretty well unimpeached. He hasn't been canceled for anything. He is who he is. I, I don't know if it still is, but I know for a long time on Twitter, his um, bio was uh, I scare children for a living. And, like, he. Some of the introductions to, like, the special Goosebumps episodes, he'll be there in the intro. And, like, this is what he was destined to do for a living. His destiny was to scare children. He's the perfect man for this. He's spooky in such an endearing way. He reminds me of Vincent Price a little bit in that regard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. St. Louis' own Vincent Price. Like, if R.L. Stein wasn't an author, he'd be, like, hosting some, like, Sven Gulli-type horror movie uh, hour block on on some random channel that nobody gets uh cody do you remember this kind of reminded me um this is super obscure just an old memory that was unlocked um there were two of these but it was like a a gross out parody of goosebumps called goof lumps yes (laughs) I remember, even as a kid, reading those and going, this is the dumbest fucking thing I've ever read. <laughs> it's pretty nasty. Um, I, I, don't, I, w- I would be curious how they hold up now. I wonder whether they're so over the top that they might actually have some fun qualities to them. I don't know, but um, I, I found the Wikipedia article for it. Um, written in 1995 by Tom Hughes under the pseudonym of R.U. Slime. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> And uh, there were two of them. One was stay out of the bathroom. The other one was eat cheese and barf. Um, like the they plot... should be in reverse order. <laughs> I, have a, I have a feeling I know what's going on there. <clears throat> the plot is stay out of the bathroom. It centers on a young boy named Joe Kohler, a self-proclaimed toilet king, who begins to experience strange things going on with his toilet, such as the lid slamming down on his head while he's vomiting, the toilet refusing to flush, and a trail of missing people leading directly to his bathroom. He soon discovers that the toilet is a teleportation device for sinister aliens visiting the Earth. So if we were ever to do a book review, I have an idea. (laughs) So, Toilet King? Toilet King. What the fuck does that mean? I Um, don't know. How are you good at toilets? This 
Book is surprisingly highbrow enough to not have his last name be Colin instead of Cole. <laughs> so so shout out to them, I guess. Although Kohler is a brand that makes toilets, so maybe they were doing. I th- that that's prob that's probably it. Yeah. Okay. Um, the plot of Eat Cheese and Barf. Um, it involves a young lactose intolerant boy named Billy Futter, whose family has moved from Syracuse, New York, to the rural town of Bledsoe, New York, after inheriting a farm from his grandfather. The town thrives on the production of dairy products, which irritates Billy as he is the only lactose intolerant boy in the city. However, this boring town is a secret. Beneath his home is a creature made entirely of cottage cheese created by his grandfather, who was actually insane. His sister's one-armed boyfriend Armand, the farmhand, and his talking dairy cow Martha try to help (laughs) find a way to stop the monster while he and his friend Fanny arrive at the local carnival where it's been released. So I would be scared of a cottage stuff. cheese monster. I fucking hate yeah. cottage cheese. Same. Uh, yeah. This book furthers my idea that drugs were just better in the 90s. <laughs> you could probably find these books on eBay, and if, if you have to pay more than $2 for them, I would be very shocked. <laughs> so may, maybe that's in our future somewhere. Well, or maybe not. I don't want to commit to anything. You could just look around terrible. mom and dad's house, and one or two of those yeah. might be yeah. might be there. <laughs> if If that book's longer than 85 pages, I'm out. Um, all right. Well, I think we've, I think we've set ourselves up for mayhem month quite, quite well here. So, uh, let's get to our guys. Jack, John, could you help me out, please? Yeah, I think I remember it. It's, uh, the guys. Thank you. I'm up first this week. Um, my guy this week is Igidius Schiffer. I really didn't mean for this to happen. It just kind of happened. For the third consecutive week of Mayhem Month, we are headed to Germany. Damn Sorry. it. No, Sorry. No, you, you can confirm. My, the topic no. I was going to do this week, I pulled an audible. It was going to be American, but, um, you know, th- th- I just, I couldn't resist. I was worried if I didn't do Igidius this week, I wouldn't get to. So No one um, does Mayhem like the Germans. No, they sure don't. Um, or God. like Igidius Schiffer, <laughs> as we're going to find out. Because I've had a couple doozies already. When you talk, when you consider the German guys that I've discussed on Mayhem Month, the ones who actually existed, last year it was Armin Mivas. Earlier uh, this year it was Carl Tanzler. Um, Egidius Schiffer is even more mayhem than than either of the other two. I don't like that. And I'll go ahead and, and issue a trigger warning. There is some kind of grisly stuff in this one, but uh, uh, so you know, keep that in mind as we head into this. Let's hope nobody else gets their dick cut off this week. I'm just hoping nobody fucks no. a corpse. No. No. I don't like those... how you had to think about that. No, neither of those things happen. There, There is a, a plot twist at the end of this that you probably won't see coming, but um, we'll get there. Between 1983 and 1990, five women were murdered in the German region of North Rhine-Westphalia. It certainly looked like all five murders may have been committed by the same person. The type of victim, the circumstances, and the method all lined up fairly similarly. In 1983, 18-year-old Marion Gericht was attacked at a bus stop and attempted to be sexually assaulted. She fought off the assault, but was unfortunately strangled to death by the perpetrator and thrown in a pond. 1984, 15-year-old Andrea Wernicke was hitchhiking a ride home from a nightclub. The man who picked her up wound up sexually assaulting her, then strangled her and dumped her body near a field. Later in 1984, 17-year-old Angelica Sell was hitchhiking, and the man who picked her up killed her and dumped the body. 1985, 18-year-old Marion Lawven was picked up from a bus stop, 
sexually assaulted and killed. The perpetrator then drove an hour away and dumped the body. Finally, in 1990, 30-year-old Sabine Newman was hitchhiking home from a nightclub when the man who picked her up, you guessed it, sexually assaulted her, strangled her to death, and dumped the body in the forest. So not exactly the most clever modus operandi in the world, but there was enough in common that police suspected the same person may have been behind all of them. That could go either way, because that's not, like, terribly specific. Like, unfortunately, there are lots of people who have done that, yeah, so... Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's, but yeah, I, I understand thinking, yeah, there might be something to that. And, and like, the women seem to be leaving nightclubs and leaving the same nightclub, so it seemed like he'd found a, a, a plan of attack. A hunting um, ground, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But that would be the last murder the suspect was linked to. Um, DNA samples were collected from one of the murders, but they didn't match any known profiles. And, and just... In case you're wondering, this was all just before the Phantom of Heilbronn fiasco started. So there's no intertwining of those stories in this. Okay. Oh, God damn it. With no other leads, the cases went cold. Now let's discuss our guy this week, Egidius Schiffer. Egidius was fairly unremarkable in just about every way, which in these stories is often a bad start. Um, he was originally trained as a nurse, then pivoted to a lengthy career as an insurance broker. He had trouble holding down a marriage, he was married three times, but he had several children, and by all accounts from people who knew him, was a loving and hard-working father. Uh-huh. In, in the late 90s, he loses his job as an insurance broker, but didn't want to move on from his rather cushy upper-middle-class lifestyle. He lived in a nice house, he drove a nice car, and he had a Harley that he drove on the side. He tries to become self-employed, but things sputtered, and he wound up having to sell off his nice house to make ends meet. Eventually, in 2007, he's busted for a crime that we see a lot of people in dire straits commit. Stealing scrap metal. Yeah. That's a big problem in the area where I live, is anything with copper in it, <laughs> you better... Just about any rural area. I mean, yeah. you know, well, it's, if, if you I... can find a way to steal it, it's, there, it's plentiful, and it's always exchanged in cash, and it's pretty much untraceable. Well, famously, there was the guy who... Uh from the town that we're from who lives relatively close to where we grew up who uh stole a bridge <laughs> there is that the guy yeah a guy stole a bridge <laughs> i'd forgotten about that uh, if you're able to do that you get to keep it well he like... didn't <laughs> <laughs> the police very much disagreed with you <laughs> it's a little fuzzy how this part plays out but after he's arrested in the the scrap metal case he submits to a dna swab you, you may already tell where this is going. Uh, the DNA profile matches the sample collected from one of the aforementioned murders, and Egidius is uh, arrested immediately. So look, this is obviously not ideal for Mr. Schiffer. <laughs> um, they have DNA, uh, his DNA at a murder scene, and cops have long believed that the man behind that murder is bef- behind four other unsolved murders. But as we saw last week, DNA analysis isn't exactly gospel, and furthermore, that's it as far as the evidence goes. Nothing else links him to it. Um, so now he's about to be interrogated. Like I always say, when you're, uh, what you need to do in that situation is, uh, you know, just shut up. Yeah. Don't say anything. Ask for a lawyer. Well, as you again may already be able to guess, that's not what Mr. Schiffer does. No, no, never. Okay. Rather, he decides to gladly confess to all five murders. 
he needed his dog lawyer there to tell him not to. He is then, of course, charged with all five murders. Shock. So that was in August of 2007. But then in January 2008, a funny thing happens. Egidius comes forward and recants all of his previous confessions. So recantment does happen sometimes, and sometimes it's for reasons that are totally genuine. For example, the cops coerced the confession or sold the person a bill of goods that got them to say something that was untrue. That kind of thing happens fairly frequently. He had to poop, and it was like, hey, if you confess, you can go to the bathroom. Well, Egidius' reasoning is pretty unique. Egidius explained, The truth is that he is a sadomasochist, (laughs) and he lied about committing the murders because he found the idea of being jailed for crimes he didn't commit to be extremely hot. Oh, god damn it. All right, so... That is one of the most creative things I've ever heard. I'm sorry. Yes. Like, I, I, like... I, I've never heard of the Your Honor, it gave me a boner defense, but... He's, he's just, like, rubbing his nipples. He's like, and how long are you going to arrest me for? <laughs> so, first of all, the usual disclaimer, uh, we're not here to kink shame. <laughs> this is a sex-positive show. Yes. With that being said, mm-hmm. taking what Agidius said at face value for a moment, just... Just jack off, man. Same thing I said a couple weeks ago about Carl Tanzler. Just jack off. Yeah. yeah. You, you got to get stuff like that out of your system. You can't I, be letting yourself get so cum-brained that you confess to yeah. being a serial killer. Yeah, I don't I don't know what, like, the German translation for post-nut clarity is, but he, he's in heavy need of this. Yeah, that, that's where he is in January 2008. <laughs> he's, things have cleared up for him a bit. Um, it's schadenfab. <laughs> not calling the episode that. Um... Good. <laughs> but the other po- <laughs> the other possibility is that he's just saying this as, again, as you said, Cody, an admittedly pretty creative attempt at a defense in his case. Yeah. That's one possibility, probably the likelier possibility. Let's not kid ourselves. But that's the other possibility. And to that, I will put my uh, uh, defense lawyer hat on here. My first thought is, that's a hell of a gamble. Um, it's like, look, I know that there isn't a ton to work with here, but to admit up front that you're a sadomasochist is, is like, that's yeah, pretty that really risky. Doesn't, that really it's doesn't like, gel right. with this crime all that well. You know? Right. That, that's pretty risky. Like, if, if I'm looking for the person who raped and strangled yeah. five hitchhikers, yeah. a sadomasochist, I would think, is a decent starting point, you know? He, he, he just gets up there and he's like, your Honor, I am pervert. That's Russian. I am pervert, but not that kind of pervert. <laughs> yeah, I you mean, know, I, it made me laugh anyway, Jack. John, don't yeah, worry. I, I was trying to find my German accent, and I just couldn't find it with the word pervert. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's one of those where I, again, we're not kink shaming. If you're yeah. into BDSM, you're into BDSM, but. Also, like... You gotta know where to draw the line between fantasy and reality, you know? (laughs) Well, and also, like Alex said, the person who has admitted that they are into mixing sex and violence is not gonna be on my... It's not gonna be on the bottom of my list when we talk about a sexually motivated murder. Yeah, yeah. We're we're not kink-shaming. We are murder-shaming, though. Right, right, right. Yeah, if you want to pretend you're doing that with a willing partner, go for it. 
that's the, like this is what we said about Armin Mivas last yes, year. Yes, like, yes, exactly. If, if the, like if that's what you're into, like, and it just stays in your head, like I guess that's okay. Yeah, find it a seems fucking like chat you probably room. get get therapy or something. It's just <laughs> it's when he got the willing participant that that really we uh, things went a bit too far. But yeah. So a sadomasochist, if you don't know, is someone who derives sexual gratification from inflicting pain on themselves or others or both. So to clarify, Egidius's claim was that he isn't into the sadism side of it. He doesn't like inflicting pain on others, but he really likes having pain inflicted on him. Well, you're in luck, because you're about to go to German prison. Um... This is an area of sexual deviance that I myself have never really dabbled in, so I can't really speak to. Um, really? Like, I was, I, I was I, pegged you for this kind of guy. I can't really speak to whether... There. <laughs> I can't really speak to whether or not this level of commitment to the bit is realistic. I, I just don't know. <laughs> it seems like probably yeah. not. How, how long was he in jail before he was like, hey, this ain't me? Uh, it took him five months to speak up. <laughs> That is that is a hell of a horny rush for five months to just be like, you know what, actually? Yeah, fuck this. Yeah, they say, like, having an erection longer than four <laughs> hours can kill you, but five months? Um, so I, I do wonder whether this defense uh, was Egidius's idea or something that his poor defense attorney came up with in a brainstorming session. Like... He goes to meet with his client at the jail to figure out a trial strategy. He's drawing a blank. Then he looks down and sees Egidius uh, take the staple out of the police report and shove it into his nutsack. And he's like, hey, <laughs> I've got it. I hey, found hey, an angle. Hey, uh, Egidius, you've been in here for five months, right? <laughs> yeah. Are you horny? Super. I've got an idea. Yeah, I imagine this fucking trial was <clears throat> fucking wild. Just the judge, like... Will the defendant please stop vanking, please? <laughs> now, I actually read a... I, I, I feel bad I didn't write it down, but the, the main source I read actually was a German article, um, at least for the first part of this, about when the trial was going on. And, like, they got a quote from the prosecutor who was, like, good sport about it. He's like, look, like, an attorney has to, like, ar try to argue something for their client. Which I will say, from a defense attorney's perspective, like... <laughs> That is what you hear from a judge or a prosecutor when you are really throwing a hail mary, <laughs> and they're <laughs> like, "Look, they're just trying for their client." That's yeah. when that's when you, you what you're trying to do is not working. That's a good sign. I mean, yeah, I had to do something. <laughs> yeah, and I'll, I'll say, here's the thing. Yeah, at some point, all of us defense attorneys have to do a trial that you know you're not going to win. Yeah. Um, I've done it. Every other attorney who's been around for a while has done it that I know. It like it sucks, but you got to do your job. You got to go in and you got to make your argument with a straight face for your client. That is your job, and that's just part of it. it. It's it's like we always say, like you never want to go with the Dick Sanity plea, but sometimes that is the best option. If that's the one that's there, sure. Yeah. But there is a threshold where your defense is so preposterous that it actually crosses over into being kind of fun. <laughs> um, again, this is the most. The most amount of details I can give, I have a colleague who uh, did a trial last year that uh, colloquially became known as the turkey baster defense. Oh, Fill no. in the details yourself. And it was so fucking Christ. absurd that that she like, even though, it, you know, even though it went the way that everybody expected, yeah. like there, 
everyone's like, I'm sorry to try that. And she was yeah. like, no, I, I'm, I'm totally cool with trying this one. The turkey based her defense sounds like it's an always sunny episode title. Um, this one, if you can compartmentalize how grisly and unpleasant the case is, you can kind of cut loose and just go like, just while out with this dumbass theory. If you it's ignore so the fucking... five, if you ignore the five murdered women, it's kind of fun. Mm. But it's like, you know, cause the big problem here outside of the DNA is the confession. Okay. Yeah. And like, you have to do something to try and counteract the confession. And, you know, if there was nothing to suggest the confession was coerced or anything like that, again, you got to lob a Hail Mary pass. You got to give some reason to the jury why your own client lied in this case. And, like, I can't think of anything better here. So. If I were if I were the, the attorney there, I would have been telling him, yeah, you're going to go fully hog wild in that courtroom. Like, you're going to take the judge's gavel and start whacking yourself in the nuts with it. <laughs> When they have you swear on the Bible, you're going to give yourself a bunch of paper cuts. I, like, there could be some fun demonstratives here. Now that I think of it, I, I'm imagining like them like calling him like the like the officer that got the like the original like confession. He's like, "Look, man, I, I didn't see a bulge. I don't think he was really that into it at the time. Like, I didn't see his dick, so I I, I can't agree with this." Um, with all that being said, this defense did not succeed, as you imagine. <laughs> Uh, it, well, no. In Aguirre's case, it's um, she was quick. Where's my fly whistle? <laughs> Aguirre's was convicted of five counts of murder and two counts of rape and sentenced to life in prison. Six to midnight for this guy. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a lot of mayhem. But if that was the end of it, it may not have made the cut for Mayhem Month. What puts it over the top is that this story has what I believe to be one of the greatest epilogues in the history of this show. Ten years into Aegidius' life sentence, so July 2018, he was found dead in his cell. Oh no. He had not been killed, he had not died of natural causes, and he had not, strictly speaking, committed suicide. Uh-huh. So what happened? So what happened? Well, first, consider that even in solitary confinement, which is where Aegidius was held, Conditions in European prisons are a lot better than here in America. Prisons are often granted certain amenities, such as simple furniture and lights, lamps. The the shitter in the middle of the room has a bidet. It's kind of nice. But solitary confinement is still rather boring, which can lead a man to certain activities. (laughs) That's the time. Keep in mind. Did he David Carradine himself? Keep in mind that Aegidius <laughs> is a sadomasochist, uh-huh. and nothing excites him more than feeling pain. Mm-hmm. So really, it should come as no surprise that in ah. July, July 2018, Aegidius was found electrocuted to death in his cell after having removed a cable from his lamp, wound it around his nipples and his cock, and plugged it in in an attempt to help him jack off. And it's at that point that a light bulb went off. And then the circuit went off. And then his heart went off. He died as he lived. Being really <laughs> fucking weird. With that said, let's pour one out for Aegidius Schiffer, one of history's most dedicated perverts. Um, pour, so... out a shot of, pour out a shot of Drano, yeah. <laughs> So my big question for the two of you, uh, um, consider this, if you will. 
Do you think Rather. that this was truly an act of masturbation gone wrong? Or was Agidius making one last stand at maintaining his innocence by proving once and for all that he really was all about that masochism life? <laughs> Go with neither. I think he genuinely intended to kill himself, but he's like, look, if I'm going to do it, this is, this is going to be, this is going to be, if, if this is going to be the last 10 seconds of my life, they're going to be the best 10 seconds of my life. And he, he went out with a zap. So yeah, that's, that's my theory. I, I kind of agree with Cody. Germans have a really weird sense of humor. And I imagine him just like being like, you know, it'd be really fucking funny though. The guy who has to find me like this. <laughs> like, it, it's, oh never, it's never, I imagine it's, it's never like... fun finding, like, a dead prisoner. But, like, there had to have been, like, light German chuckle as he just, like, sees a dude with, like, his dick attached to the fucking fan. And he's just like, ah. Oh. Realize something. This guy was such a pervert <laughs> that the rest of the Germans looked down on him. <laughs> Yeah, you gotta go really... It was him and Armin Mivas are, are really the only two perverts in Germany big enough to, to earn I, scorn I, from the populace. Like, the, the prison guard walks in and be like, amateur, they forgot to ground it. You might be onto something there, Cody. Like, this is kind of like... <laughs> this is kind of going out in a way that's your own tribute, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like, it's like a... It's like a 2100 volt salute. <laughs> it's like... It, yeah, it's it's like leaving Las Vegas. The guy loves to drink more than anything else, so he's just like, I'm just gonna drink until I die and have the most fun ever. Yeah. But a much, much darker and oddly yeah. zanier version of that. He, he took one last load by overloading his body. That's this. It's really one... This story really, tonally, is very jarring. It's like a combination of, like, if if there was a Bugs Bunny parody of Saw, yeah, that, that's kind of what this would be like. Like if they ever have like Sideshow Bob like off himself in prison, like it's this. Like there's a rake there still, but it's this. Okay, well with that out of the way, um, <laughs> up second this week uh, for for week three of Mayhem Month is Cody. Cody, who's your guy? I'm gonna tell you right now, it doesn't get less weird. At least not at this point. Um, this week, I am once again going with a story that's maybe a little higher profile, um, largely because there is a Netflix documentary out about this one, but it's it's not one of those that like really blew up, so unless you've watched the doc, you probably don't know the story. For week three of Mayhem Month, I present the tale of Brian Wells. Mm -hmm. So... Brian comes from a humble background, uh, growing up in a small town in Pennsylvania. Uh, Brian dropped out of school at age 16 and went to work as a mechanic. By 2003, which is when the meat of our story uh, takes place, Brian was working as a pizza delivery driver. Now, at this a no point... A, a noble job, I should mm -hmm. add. At this point, we'll pan away from Brian for a little bit and shift our focus elsewhere in Erie, Pennsylvania. Specifically the home of a man named Kenneth Barnes. Kenneth God. Barnes was a part-time handyman, part-time crack dealer, and a total fucking psycho. Love a good part-time crack dealer. 
And he'd found two uh, uh, kindred spirits in Marjorie Deal Armstrong and William Rothstein. All three of these people were fucking batshit crazy. <laughs> yeah, so I here just some background for everybody. Um, I I think I'm the only one of the three who's seen the documentary. It was several years ago. I don't remember a whole lot, but something I do remember quite clearly. So just. I'll have more to say about the documentary towards the end of this. It would be overstating it to say that it's for me, the documentary version of now you see me, but it, the, it, the ending really, really pissed me off. But before then, one of the things that it does a good job of is really giving you a good idea of what all these people are like in particular Rothstein. They do a very good job of showing that he is just a big bumbling fucking piece of shit. Like he give he gives oafs a bad name. Um, yeah. he, he, I remember him just being a big fucking lump of useless nothing. That's what I remember about him. And and all yeah, all three of them are completely nuts. So at Barnes House, these three people discussed how they could make some fast money, which with this group means they were discussing what kind of crime they could commit to make some fast money. Yeah. Now, let's talk a little bit about my, uh, in my opinion, the most fascinating character in this whole thing, Marjorie. Marjorie was very much, I mean, not a guy, a gal, but yeah. capital G, gal. Yes. Marjorie was extremely intelligent. She was like a rock star student in school before her mental health started to go a little bit wonky in her 20s. Uh, she had already been on trial for shooting her boyfriend, but was acquitted on the grounds of self-defense. Yeah. She also had a husband and a few other acquaintances die under mysterious circumstances. Yeah. In, in the documentary, <laughs> it takes all of about five seconds to gather that she is a fucking terrifying, terrifying yeah. lady. Yeah. You can see it on her face just instantly. Yeah, not not to be fucked with as this gal. No. Rothstein, for his part, was also a relatively intelligent but completely maladjusted person who had a criminal history as well. Mm. Like Ooh, Alex yes. said, just kind of a big... He was smart for an oaf, but his, <laughs> his personality was oafish. Yeah, he's a big a big piece of yeah. shit. Is what yeah. Rothstein was a big goofy piece yeah. of shit. My my headphones only slightly cut out, and I heard like Alex and Oaf. <laughs> I don't think I'm that oafish. <laughs> no, I I am the resident Oaf of this show. I think that's that's yeah. been pretty well established. Well, similar <laughs> similar to you, um, like, well, similar or similar to Rothstein. I don't think you're quite stupid enough to be a true Oaf. <laughs> Um, and I think you have, you have some talents, which to me, when I think of a, a, what really makes an oaf, you're like, you are a bigger guy. You and I both got the, the unfortunate genetic clumsiness. We inherited that. Mm -hmm. Um, but you're not stupid because when I think of an oaf, they're stupid and not really good at anything. Yeah. I, um, I guess an oaf makes me think of like Patrick from SpongeBob. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He is an I oaf. Guess, yeah. I yes. guess I'm, I'm more of a goon than an oaf. I, think. I, I thought the same thing. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're the enforcer. Yeah. Yeah. So they also eventually roped in a man named Jay Stockton, who was a fugitive from the law who happened to be uh, hanging with Rothstein at the time. So 
Marjorie's first suggestion is that they kill her father because she thought her father was wasting her inheritance. Kenneth said, yeah, I'll do it for 250 grand. Marjorie obviously did not have that kind of money, so they needed a way to come up with a quarter of a million. They settled on the old standby, robbing a bank. Mm-hmm. None better. Steal some scrap metal. We just talked about yeah. it. It's easy. Wait, wait. Assuming that she thinks she's going to get a fuckload on her inheritance, why not be like, hey, I'll just give you a cut of that. Like, I understand, like, a killer's fee is probably, like, upfront money, but, like, don't make a crime to help you with a different crime. This just sounds overly complicated. <laughs> so. Sounds overly complicated, does it? Yeah, I know this um, is here as a guy. I know where we're going. At least, buckle up. Uh, yeah. Oh, God damn it. This is really only the tip of the iceberg, Jack John. It gets oh. so much weirder from here. Fucking hate icebergs. Uh, masterminds knew that the conventional bank robbery methods wouldn't quite cut the mustard here. See, if you go the usual route of just telling the bank teller you've got a gun and having them give them whatever they've got right there, not only do you run the risk of getting caught, like always, but you're also not going to get 250 grand out of it. Like, like there's not that in one of those drawers. There's probably not that much money in every single drawer at the front of the bank if you took all so, of it. So, so let, me, let me just wrap my... So they're like, hey, we're not going to get enough money robbing the bank, so let's still rob the bank. Okay. Well, they're they're not going to make enough money robbing it that way. Okay. All right. But the group lacked the tools and the know-how to pull off a serious heist that would like get them into the bank vault, which is where you would need yeah. to go to yeah. get that kind of money. They're they're thinking gold bricks when they should be thinking dollars. Right. Well, so th- their whole thought process in this is at every point at every point it's like, okay, clearly this is this is not gonna do what you want to accomplish you should just think of something else and instead they they just try and like add an extra step to the plan so they're because what but yeah go ahead they're they're doing like the rpg thing where it's like all right i need to go get a shovel from gary but gary needs me to get a wheelbarrow and i found a wheelbarrow but steve has it and steve wants me to get some hay for him and i found some hay but greg who has the hay needs me to go get him a spade and they're just doing all this dumb shit to cover the previously dumb shit right oh yeah. Um, God damn it. Well, long story short, they were not afraid to think outside the box, and that's what they did. <laughs> so, here's the master plan that they cooked <laughs> so up. Fuck. All right, so here. fucked up. Let's, let's hear it. They created a, they decided on creating a collar with a bomb in it <laughs> that their trigger man would wear <laughs> into the bank and threatened to detonate it if the bank employees didn't get them $250,000. Now, what this does is this not only gives the bank staff a good fucking reason to do what you tell them, but also shows them, oh, these people are fucking crazy. Yeah. Look, give me money or I'm killing myself. And all of you, but yeah. Um, So, Rothstein built this bomb collar. Mm. But understandably, none of these guys were all that keen on being the one to wear the thing into the bank. Oh, sure. I I don't want to get too ahead of this. I legitimately do not know the story. 
why did the bomb collar have to be real? Jack, why not just pretend it's real? We'll get there in just a second, but God. that is a very that is a very good point. Right. Like, like you don't have to really do this. No, you you don't have to, no. But Go ahead. Okay. So they needed a stooge they could get to wear this collar so that none of them could be identified or get blown to bits if things go tits up. Mm-hmm. Enter Brian Wells. So exactly how Brian Wells got mixed up in this is actually the subject of some dispute. Yeah. Brian's friends and family say that he did not want to do this at all. Kenneth Barnes just threatened him at gunpoint into putting the collar on, and he was forced into this whole thing just totally against his will. The conspirators, on the other hand, tell a different story. And for what it's worth, most law enforcement agrees with their version of events. Kenneth and Brian did have some mutual acquaintances, uh, notably a prostitute that Brian was fond of. And evidently, these would-be criminal masterminds invited Brian in to help them plan and execute the robbery, and Brian was just as guilty as they were. This is where the investigators tend to lean. But again, Brian's friends and family are like, no, he, he you know. A grain of salt on both sides, I think. So, yeah. who knows? Whether Brian was in on it or not, there is no doubt that the group were setting him up as a patsy. Mm-hmm. See, the crew had apparently told Brian that, as Jack John suggested, the bomb was a fake while Brian's helping them plan this. They told him that there's not really going to be a bomb in this collar. We're just going to tell people there is. It wasn't until he meets up with the crew on the day of the robbery that he discovered that the collar contained two very real pipe bombs. Hoof. <laughs> God damn it. Hey, so why is that red light beeping? Oh, don't worry about it. Yeah, the specifics of this meetup are a little muddy. Again, it depends on whether you believe Brian's family or the conspirators. <laughs> but what everybody agrees on is that there was some sort of struggle. Because as soon as Brian found out there's really a bomb in this thing, he's like, no, fuck you. His, his, no, his no, no, I will not do this. His family's probably just like, look, our son's not that fucking stupid, right? There had to be some ulterior like convincing and like forcing him. He wouldn't put that bomb on. Yeah. He's not stupid. One thing we do know is that Brian did not willingly put this bomb <laughs> collar on. But the conspirators, of course, uh, had him at gunpoint, and they were like, no, nope, you're doing this. What's a gun to a bomb? So Brian was uh, fitted with this collar, but they didn't send Brian in empty-handed. He was also given a homemade shotgun that looked like a cane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like like the fucking penguin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hope they give um, him a bucket of fish to like grossly chew on too. Like he's full on DeVito. Oh, I would have absolutely leaned into that if this had been me. <laughs> Um, he was instructed to tell the bank staff that three black men had forced the collar on him and that he was a hostage. Which at this point, with the exception of the black men part, is kind of true. <laughs> like, right, yeah. 
It's, it's, Brian like, does yeah, not. It, it wasn't. It wasn't three black men. It was just my insane friends. <laughs> it was three Maybe. shit bums. Yeah. Yeah. Three shit bums who I'm acquainted with did this to but, me. But we have not yet heard the strangest part of this yet. Mm-hmm. What further complicated things were the nine pages of instructions that were later found in Brian's car. They were not only instructions for the robbery, but also contained a full-on scavenger hunt for collecting the keys to the four locks that attached the bomb collar to his neck. Yeah, that's like, they added a, a jigsaw element to this that really was not... Like, to say they overthought this whole plan is, is really a massive understatement. Completely you know? unnecessary. Yeah, you know, like, like, there's no point. Why? If, if anything, it, it's it's counter to what they're trying to accomplish. Like they should be wanting Brian to follow no, through with it, this. No, this is. I am convinced that at this point they're doing this for fun. Like they have gone full on supervillain here. Or this is this is some shit the Riddler would do. Or or hear me out, crack. That also, is a possibility. Yes. Yeah, they're all cracked out. That's the other possibility. <laughs> I don't. This, I, this nine is nine pages. Typical... That's crack. That's crackhead shit. I don't, this almost seems to be too well planned to be a crack, a crack fueled crime, but what do I know? Like, your, your manifesto of this, of this fucking bank robbery, and also your weird ass fucking Rubik's Cube neck bomb. Crack! Like Adderall or something, but yeah, <laughs> your point's taken. So, it has been suggested that this might be a red herring designed to support the narrative that they're trying to build. I don't really think so. But the fact is that these people are fucking whack jobs, and this is just the kind of shit they do. So Brian, bomb and all, walked into the PNC bank, handed the teller a note that stated that the bomb would go off in 15 minutes, so they better hand over the 250k. I hope the start of the note said, do you want to play a game? <laughs> remember, by the way, at, at this point, I feel it behooves us to remember, this is just supposed to be the setup crime. Yeah. So, like, the actual this is too main fun. crime later on. This is too fun, someone taking a hit out on their own dad. Yeah. <laughs> so... Here's the thing, though. For all of this plan's very interesting little twists and turns, these people are also, again, cracked out of their minds and crazy. There are some things they didn't think of. For one, the teller can't actually access the vault. Like, I don't know if you know about working, yeah. how much you know yeah. about working at a bank. Yeah. Yeah. Not everyone in that building could just go into the fucking vault. Yeah, you you know how the neck bomb has four keys? I think the vault might have more than that. You know you know where they might have gotten this idea? They might have watched the fucking goddamn movie Now You See Me. Because that <laughs> if you remember that scene where like they they show how the one heist was done. Yeah. You might all get to hear this soon, but yeah. um where the one heist was done and, yeah. and the, the bank in France in fucking Paris <laughs> Yeah. Opens their day by every employee just walking into the vault to see what's there. Yeah. That doesn't happen in real yeah. life. You, you get to do this exactly at 7.59, right as they're about to open, as they're all in like a nice like stern walk. Yeah, to see if all the loose cash is in here where it's supposed to have been dropped off last night. That's literally a plot point in that movie. Oh. Anyway. 
the teller did was they just put roughly $8,700 in a bag and handed it over to Brian. Brian leaves the bank, according to one witness, and this is a direct quote, swinging the bag in his cane gun like Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> like, Brian's having fun with this at this point. I hope a fucking piano falls on him. Brian then set about the scavenger hunt. <laughs> He'd completed his first task and was working on the second when the cops caught up to him and arrested him. I I really hope it's like it's like that scene in Die Hard 2 where he's like at the flick the fountain and he's like trying to figure out the puzzle as it's happening. And Wells repeats the story about the three black men. The cops clear the area and they call out the bomb squad. Yeah. I'll say in the documentary they show the video of this up until yeah. a point where like it becomes something that you can't show anymore. Oh. Um, and we'll we'll get to that. Yeah. Just, yeah. So this, however, would prove to be a fruitless effort as the bomb went off and blew Brian to Kingdom Come about three minutes before they showed up. <laughs> oh. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Jack John, a piano doesn't fall on his head, but his head does explode. You that <sighs> that part is correct. So the news were showing live footage of this. Oh, which like it, it's extremely irresponsible because they have no idea when this thing's going to go off. Yeah. But luckily, due to a tech, an unrelated technical issue, they didn't actually show the detonation itself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like, I, I know live news is like gripping edge. You got to have like a 30 second tape delay on that. Yeah. Like. Just imagine being the bomb squad. Like, three minutes before you show up, the thing just goes off. So you just walk up and you're like, huh. They're in a stoplight and in the distance they hear, <laughs> like, okay. well, lunch, lunch, lunch. So, uh, beer, talk about beer 30. <laughs> I, I, I hope they didn't have, I, didn't, I hope they didn't have like a movie style quip. Like, I'm not cleaning that up. <laughs> Yeah! <laughs> Want to get away? <laughs> For everything else, there's MasterCard. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that's all we can get. <laughs> I think that's yeah, all. That's... Uh, it, like, he blows up and then, you're not you when you're hungry. Avoid the noise? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> the, uh, the news again. Real man of genius. <laughs> Avoid mayhem like me. Mr. Bomb Collar Detonator. <laughs> yeah. So, um. A guy did die. <laughs> they're, they're, doing yeah, this but... in a ba- they're doing this in a background of a, a, a Sentara uh, car commercial. <laughs> it's all happening in a dock off screen. One more. I can just see J.K. Simmons explaining this uh, <laughs> to his farmer's insurance <laughs> customers. Yep, even that's covered. So, yeah. Uh, the cops actually investigated a little more about the scavenger hunt, and they determined that Brian actually could not possibly have completed these tasks in time. Which supports a theory that I subscribe to and is pretty common, which is that Brian was never supposed to make it out of this alive. Wait, if the bomb was supposed to go off in 15 minutes, and they said it before he went into the bank, and he had to rob the bank, and he had to do this bullshit hunt, there's no way. Don't know if 
the 15 minutes thing was accurate. That's just yeah. what he was supposed to tell the bank people. All of these so people he, don't seem it smart enough. Actually, it might have actually been like 30 minutes. Or they, or it might have just been one of those where it destabilizes gradually, and they're not entirely sure exactly how long it. Look, you can't even get a Domino's pizza in thirty minutes. How the fuck is he going to pull this shit off? Yeah, your bomb, uh, your bomb in thirty minutes, or it's free. Um, <laughs> so the cops, uh, yeah, the cops determined. I think that, and I agree that Brian was never supposed to make it out alive this guy was a complete pawn and eventually a loose end so i think he was dead the minute he put that collar on the cops were kind of befuddled as they tend to be and they didn't really even get close until 2005 when our story takes another wild twist in 2005 marjorie deal armstrong was arrested for murdering her boyfriend with a shotgun uh-huh and Bill Rothstein was arrested as an accessory, uh, accessory for helping her hide the body. Turns out, this is the break the cops needed, as after Marjorie was convicted, she told the authorities from prison that she had information about the Brian Wells case and would share it in exchange for a transfer to a minimum security prison. Marjorie okay. told the authorities that Rothstein was the brains of the operation, and planned the whole thing and masterminded it all. And Brian absolutely had been involved willingly. Half of that is true. <laughs> probably. Brian probably was willingly involved. However, Bill Rothstein was not the mastermind of this crime. That or was Marjorie. It, or anything, yeah. Yeah. I, Marjorie killing killing her boyfriend with a shotgun is awfully simple for her. Like, yeah. was it set up by like a fucking Rube Goldberg machine? Yeah. Is Peter Griffin's <laughs> breakfast machine killed her? This, boyfriend? Is the, this is the second boyfriend she shot. Yeah, it, it it very much like I have to imagine like the trigger was attached to a string and she like pulled it off camera. Oh, later that year, Kenneth Barnes, who happened to be in jail on drug charges, uh, surprise, surprise. Uh, he happened to spill his guts to his brother-in-law about the whole thing. His brother-in-law immediately ratted him out to the cops, <laughs> leading to Kenneth being charged in the crime as well. So Bill Rothstein actually died before he could uh, do his time for this, but Marjorie and Kenneth were convicted and would later die in prison. As I mentioned earlier, this... Uh, this story is the subject of a Netflix doc. I have not watched it, but Alex has. I believe he has mm. some things to share, so I'm going to go ahead and turn you loose here uh, if you'd like but, to. Or, I, I have one question that I'm failing to see, and I'm sure it just it, the answer is it didn't, because I, I can't imagine how this would work. So they had him rob the bank. Right. He then blows up. Yeah. They get no money from this, right? Like th th This is just like a wash, and they're like, all right, cool, never mind. Like, why? Yeah, they, for one thing, they didn't get the money that... But I, I think... I believe in the instructions, when Brian started that scavenger hunt, I think he was supposed to drop the money someplace and they were going to get it. Yeah, but like... I think that's how that was supposed to work. I love that at the end of the scheme, it's just like, well, he's dead. Also, we have no money. Also, that was a crime? Yeah, no, th <laughs> this this completely did not work at all. But... Yeah, there there was, I think there was a step built in for them getting the money. It just, 
either Brian never got the chance to do that, or yeah. maybe they did pick up the 8700, but it doesn't Jesus. matter if that wasn't enough. Yeah, that's, uh, I hadn't actually yeah. <laughs> dove too deep into that, but I believe that was the case. Neither did um, they, it's fine. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, Alex, uh, you had some stuff about the doc, which I have not seen, so... <laughs> Uh, the documentary, it's uh, uh, like a documentary miniseries. It's still on Netflix, I believe, called Evil Genius. Here's the thing. I would recommend watching it. Just shut it off until like the last, I think, like 10 minutes. It, it, it's like, this is why I say it's overstating it to say that this was like the now you see me of documentaries to me. Because I, I really didn't get irritated by how the film was done through most of it. It does a, a quite good job. Like they get like they're interviewing Marjorie as she's in prison. Like behind wow. like behind glass, she is interviewing <laughs> them. Like they get quotes from all these people. They do it they do a nice job laying out what is what just one of the craziest stories of all time. Um here's my problem with it is like this thing that you discussed, Cody, that, that one of the the inherent conflicts is to what extent was Brian Wells innocent um like to what extent was he like you know in with these people and knew that there was a robbery going on versus someone who was like just completely hapless and pulled into this at gunpoint essentially and they they kind of grapple with that viewpoint and get both people's you know or get the perspectives of both and explain that conflict but then at the end this fucking filmmaker what he does <laughs> he decides the best way to wrap this whole documentary up is to turn the camera in on himself and declare that after learning all this, he is now making it his mission to clear the name of Brian Wells, that he has completely bought that Brian did nothing wrong and that he is now going to make it his mission to get closure for this family by trying to clear his good name. Why the fuck he thought that that was any something that anybody wanted, I have no idea. It was so, to me, it, it was so grating and self-indulgent and just, like, inserting himself into this situation that just cheapened what was otherwise an extremely well-done true crime documentary. That's my problem with Evil Genius. Learned that the real hero here is me. Is yeah. me. Yeah. yeah. You know, this family who's had time to move on from this, they need closure by me reopening <clears throat> this. Like, yeah, the, you know, the, the the family is just going to forever think that Brian did nothing wrong. That's their coping mechanism. Fine. Like, yeah. why do you need to go in a crusade for this fucker? It's not going to bring him back. Yeah. <laughs> like, why is it? Who needs this? Who's this for? I know that the cops come to incorrect conclusions all the time. Yeah. But, like, there was a fair amount of evidence. They had multiple people <laughs> say that they'd heard Brian talking about this before it happened. Like, yeah. All all available evidence points to Brian probably knew yeah. that he was going to be part of a bank robbery. He just didn't know what exactly was going to happen. And yeah, but yeah, it but it, it sells better with that. So this is I, I'm glad you you mentioned that. I have not talked about this on the podcast. One of the most infuriating documentaries I've ever seen, and it pissed me off that it got so huge, is Netflix is making a murder. Mm-hmm. Because I, I do feel in... like that. Yeah, I feel like this was in the shadow of yeah. that. Is maybe why this guy decided yeah. to do this. They came in from jump with the angle that we are going to very, very much try and convince you that this guy is innocent. 
if yeah. you look at the act, and they they talked about all the the tampering and all the police misconduct, which yes, mm-hmm. there was some of that evidence was definitely planted. But then they completely gloss over the extremely damning evidence that could not right, possibly right, be planted. Right. Yeah. They look. They found her bones in his fire pit. Right. If you're telling me that that was planted, that means the cops found her body somewhere else. Yeah. And planted them and planted it at Stephen Avery's place because of that lawsuit he had against the the local. And I'm sorry, it's not that I think that the cops are necessarily morally above letting a killer walk free in order to frame some guy. I don't think that's a risk that most of them are willing to take, though. Also, they're pretty fucking lazy, so I don't. that's yeah. a lot of extra work to do. Yeah, like, while, while there was police misconduct and that should have been talked about, like, making a murderer has, like, fully, like, 70% of the country convinced that uh, a man who is almost certainly guilty is, uh, mm-hmm. is totally innocent. So, but that's, that's kind of why I don't like the Netflix true crime docs. And I've said this before, but anytime mm-hmm. you're making a, a documentary for a major entertainment outlet, remember that they're not doing this because they care about the truth. They're doing this yeah. because they're, they're trying to make a shit. Make money. Yeah. 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 Just like al- always be mindful of that. And what was so frustrating about Evil Genius was, like, for most of the movie, it seemed like they were avoiding that. Like, it was just yeah. laying out this crazy-ass story that, that I mean, can entertain you just by, just on the face. Yeah. And then at the end, he had to go and fuck the whole thing up. So yeah. I mean, if you do watch Evil Genius, overall, I'd recommend it. Again, just just brace yourself for what this guy does at the end, and don't even think about it, because, like... Despite that, the rest of the doc really isn't slanted towards that, which was was part of the perplexing as- aspect of this. Um, but yeah, it it really really grated on me, and it felt very self indulgent. Um, like you know, a documentary doesn't have to have you as a character as the filmmaker. You right. know, it just really doesn't. It um it doesn't have to be a campaign for anything. But it did feel very much like, you know, th- this was the big thing on Netflix at the time, so I needed to take this angle as well, um, because that's what's more profitable. But otherwise, it does a good job telling this fucking insane story. <laughs> so I-, I recommend it on that basis. In case, this will go down as one of the strangest crimes in history. That brings me to my big question. I'm going to issue you boys a challenge here tonight for my big question. I want you to come up with a more cartoonish bank robbery plot than the one we've just talked about. What do you got for me? I do think that it's going to involve some kind of Rube Goldberg machine. Um, it is going to involve like a... a a mile long train of dominoes. It takes you like, you know, it takes like a year to set all this shit up. Cause you just keep <laughs> knocking it over. Um, that is somehow going to trigger, um, that's going to trigger the alarm to the bank, which is going to distract them as, uh, um, the domino is also going to, uh, knock over a cup at which point a, uh, board will knock to the ground. And, uh, like one of those little rolling dogs, like from uh, toy story, <laughs> rolls in, and it bumps against uh, a plant inside the bank, which is going to uh, fall over, and the dirt is going to be uh, immediately scooped up by the janitor, who was, uh, you know, loafing about, sitting in his uh, seat in the corner, as he is wont to do at this bank. Um, and when he gets up, 
the change in pressure is going to uh um uh shit. See that this is why <laughs> I don't have the skill these people have because I can't think of things like this. Uh that's going to trigger um uh, a motion sensor that they put in place which is going to um trigger a shotgun which is hanging <laughs> from the ceiling is going to uh uh, blow the cash register open, um, and it's going to cause such a ruckus that uh, the actual robbers are going to sneak in and in all the chaos just steal whatever they want. <laughs> and a skeleton pops out. It was Dracula. <laughs> jacking fucking, off. Fucking jacking <laughs> off. <laughs> the teller just looks over. No, Saratu. Uh... I'm going to go for a much more simple, but I think even stupider ploy. Uh, I'm going to do a uh, like a Grinch uh, kind of thing. And I'm going to go up to the teller and just be like, ah, I'm the money cleaner. And you see the, the money in your vault is far too dirty. And I must take it back uh, to my workshop and clean it. And, and when it is clean and ready to return to the bank, I will return it back to you, of course. Uh, and then they're going to let me in the vault and I'm just going to steal all the money uh, in front of them. And I'm going to hope the teller is a child. Uh, and I'm like give her a dollar as like an appeasement as I'm leaving. Well, uh, but I'm gonna pretend to be soon, a money cleaner. Coming soon in certain states, the teller might be a child. You never know. Um, <laughs> Shit. Yeah, I'm gonna start by robbing Arkansas and like Oklahoma and all those states first. Yeah. Um, so I actually had two ideas. So the first is the most simple. I'm gonna finally invent the portable hole, and then I'll <laughs> I'll just you know portable hole my way into the vault. Um, the second, though, in case I don't do that, is I am going to train um, about 15,000 ants, and I'm going to have them march under the vault door and form an ant pyramid and unlock the vaults and uh, carry the money out, uh, you know, like they do with your your picnic food. Um, you just see it leaving on the backs of a bunch of ants, and uh, yeah, I'm going to have them uh, bring it to me that way. Uh, in exchange for, I guess, a cut of the profit. Although, what the hell, ants need money for? I don't know. But uh, yeah, I, I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna have an army of ants. Uh, they're gonna rob that bank for me. I'm on board only if you teach the lead ant how to play the bugle. I feel like that's a key <laughs> component of the ant march. Is they have to have a bugle playing ant in the lead. <laughs> they're just. They're just walking up there. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> The day comes and you walk up to the bank and you're about to, um, you're about to let loose the ants and you look and the uh, security guard is just a fucking aardvark and a red <laughs> <laughs> Years of planning all for naught. God damn it. I knew I shouldn't have done this plan in the Zootopia world. You just drop to your knees and scream at the sky. <laughs> Good answers. Good answers. God, that segment was stupid. All right. <laughs> that one was really, really something. Yeah. Um, Mayhem month, everybody. <laughs> oh God. And but as I said earlier, I also know what Jack John's topic is, and uh, mm -hmm. uh, the the tone is not going to be changing because <laughs> um, we have some more wackiness yeah. and some more mayhem. So with that, Jack John, who's your guy? Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about mayhem in sports this week, and I have the perfect topic, I think, for that. See, fights in sports aren't all that uncommon. Famous brawls have happened in every major sport, and we've even discussed sports fights on this very show before. 
But I can't think of a more guy outcome than the fight I'm going to talk about tonight. For those on and off the field, there's guys anywhere you look in this story. Let's talk about the University of Miami versus Florida International University and their first ever matchup in 2006. I, I actually, uh, Jack John, I don't know. There's a video on YouTube that's gotten a lot of play called like the game that, that the NCAA wants you to forget about. Um, and that's where I learned about this, yeah. this game for the, because actually, even though I was paying attention to sports a lot at this time, yeah. I didn't remember this at all. Yeah. Well, this is like, this isn't an era where like a, just a lot of other weird shit was happening at the same time. I forgot to look it up. Um, at like the exact date. So this is, let me double check real quick before I say something stupid. Uh, this is two years removed from Malice at the Palace. So it's not quite as like grand as scope. But just as stupid. Oh man, I, I wish Malice at the Palace wasn't too famous for us to talk yeah. about. My but God, it, it it almost couldn't not be. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Malice, of, I remember the day after Malice at the Palace. Like I was in a bowling league, and I remember going like to bowling, and that's all that me and like the kids could talk about because it was just so fucking stupid and insane. And really eleven watched... year old me was loving it. I didn't really watch basketball as much at the time. So going to school the next day and having a couple of my friends explain what the hell happened. Yeah. And I I, I seriously thought they were fucking with me for a couple minutes. Yeah. And then I, I saw like later on the news they yeah. were talking about it. I didn't see it live, but I remember watching like ESPN that morning, and it was just obviously like, all that was on ESPN, but it's like these kind of fights were like they were happening a lot, and there's there's a reason. We'll, I'll talk about it first, but like the University of Miami really was the perfect place for this fight to happen. <laughs> it, it sure was, yeah, yeah. Um, but let's get into it. As for a brief history of football in Miami, the U made its name in the '80s and '90s off of the rough nature of the city itself, Miami. Recruiting and team building relied heavily on underprivileged locals and those being given an opportunity through the school. This was like a huge driving force to get Miami to be a good football program. I watched the U uh, part one and part two, and they make mention that like they were considering like unfunding the football program and like sending it down because like Miami sucked ass in the early eighties and they really yeah. needed to like break through the ivory wall that the school was trying to prevent present itself as. Yeah. That, that's the dynamic that a lot of people don't really know now, which is that before before that, before the rise of the football program, yeah, it, Miami was considered like a snooty private school. Yeah, it, it was the private school of Miami. And like they were trying to like present themselves as like the Ivy League of the South. Like they were very much like academia over athletics. And it, it showed like heavily on the football field. Like they would get their ass kicked. Like, Which can is a you hilarious thing to think about now. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine in, in like the 70s, like Miami, it looks like the, the clubhouse in Caddyshack and then fucking like Warren Sapp rolls up. <laughs> like, Michael Irvin is like, yeah, I got my gun on me. What up, buddy? It's, 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 it's how high. It's basically the movie How High. Mac and Devin go to high school again. Uh, yeah, fucking A, dude. I mean, Mac and Devin go to high school is basically just how high, but take it one yeah. grade level lower. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the kids of Miami were incredible athletes, but many of them came from broken or troubled homes and their neighborhoods weren't much better. Fights weren't uncommon with Miami during this time either. Pick a year and you can find a fight breaking out or charges being thrown at a player on and off the field at any given point. Uh, there were a lot of famous fights uh, in uh, the year that this happened. 
in the six games prior, Miami was in two fights already that year. <laughs> like, Miami was having a very, very, like, culture shock appearance. But with this still, Miami was becoming a powerhouse. But in 2006, Miami was, quote, struggling bad. They had gone nine and three the past two seasons, and Miami was very much a national title or bust program. Yeah, and they were in like they were in like the Bo Pelini stage of Nebraska, where like you know for most programs the results would be fine, but like yeah. when you're a program that has been winning championships recently, yeah, fans aren't going to be happy with this. Yeah, like like today, if Georgia lost twice, the end of the world would happen. Mm-hmm. They'd still somehow get a top four ranking because uh, NCAA football is busted, but it would be the end of the world. Uh, and a lot of this was uh, resting on head coach Larry Coker, uh, who was basically in the hot seat from the entire start of the year. The season had started poorly enough with a brutal home loss to in-state rival Florida State. And headed into the FIU game, the Hurricanes were unranked with a poorly received 3-2 and record. FIU, on the other side of Miami, was a newly uh, Division I team in their own right, who was 0-5 and basically just fighting for pride. Hmm. FIU is a brand new football program. <laughs> so this game is a tune-up game for Miami, a sort of like get right and figure out what the fuck your team is moment, and just a pure matter of why not us for FIU. As I mentioned, the schools are a mere nine miles apart and heavily rely on the same talent pool, drawing the same local fans, and they're set to face off for the very first time. Now, Jack John, you may not know this. Do you know whether Mario Cristobal was the head coach at this point? Um, I don't believe it was him. I looked up the name nice. of the FIU coach. He doesn't really say anything of note, for me at least. Um, afterwards, he does the thing you would expect, but it was not him. I just remember like hearing the stories of Mario Cristobal when, like, even when he got there, um, he was he said he literally his office was a trailer. Like, that's how undeveloped FIU was as a program yeah. early on. I, but, like, they I'm, were in an extremely talent-rich area, so, like, yes. there's reason for hope. Yeah. Um, in the U documentary, they talk about it. They basically cut off Florida at, like, I think it's, like, Tallahassee, and they call it uh, uh, the state of Miami. And, like, all of the kids that are coming out of this area in football are, like, insanely rich talent-wise. Yeah. Um. But a couple more notes. I have these directly ripped from uh, one of the articles that I was reading. There's a ton of articles on this, which is great. Uh, But several Miami players were in uh, trouble for fighting LSU following a 40-3 loss in the Peach Bowl, which escalated to a quick out-of-control melee in the tunnel leading from the field. This is before uh, the game we're going to talk about. Uh Uh, Shortly before the Miami-Louisville game on September 16th, virtually the entire Miami Hurricanes roster was jumping on the Cardinals logo at midfield a widely viewed act of taunting. Uh, afterwards, several Miami players uh, were involved in an incident. Uh, Miami player, a Miami player was shot outside of his home briefly before training camp. Um, uh, this was Merriweather, who we'll bring up later, who um, returned fire because he was carrying his gun on him, of course. Uh, police in Florida sided with Merriweather as uh, self-defense. Was it branded Merriweather? It is... Um, like safety for what was it, New England? Yeah, he's a safety. Yeah, yes. yeah, Brandon, yeah. Merriweather, Brandon, okay. Brandon Merriweather, who, yeah, in the NFL was like a notorious cheap shot artist, like one of the yes. most infamous in recent years. Yeah. Oh, oh, hold that thought. No. Um, 
And several other players were suspended for violating uh, team rules, although it's unspecified what those were. But a lot of players like getting suspended and getting into issues before the season even started. Uh, and head coach Coker had this to say, I do have a grip on this program. Don't ever doubt that. Don't ever doubt that. Uh-huh. So let's doubt that. Yeah. As the game starts, Miami seemed to struggle against FIU, scoring only seven points in the first quarter against a much weaker team. Again, while the talent pool is there, the team cohesion is not, and Miami should be dominating this game, but they're kind of evenly matched up, or at least struggling at the same pace. But even in the weaker offense showing, both teams were heavily competitive and near squaring off at multiple points in the game. Again, these kids grew up in heavy proximity to each other, and the animosity in the stadium is palpable. The action finally hit a boiling point early in the third quarter. Miami, already up 7-0, had started to put their offense together, resulting in an impressive drive, the kind that the Hurricanes were expected to make against such a weaker team. The drive culminated in a five-yard touchdown throw from quarterback Kyle Wright to the fullback James Bryant, with the drive itself being prolonged by erupting the passer call just plays prior. The defense of FIU was visibly frustrated, seen yelling at both Miami and each other immediately after the touchdown. This was only exacerbated by a taunt from James Bryant, who took an exaggerated bow and point towards the FIU sideline. Bryant would receive an unsportsmanlike penalty, but the game would resume, if for just one more play. The ensuing PAT was anything but routine. After the kick went through the uprights, you can see the FIU, uh, an FIU player lined up over the long snapper, continuing to shove the Miami player back. The ref blows their whistle and run in to separate the men. But the shoving, like an eye of a storm, begins to pull in more and more players. By the time the TV announcers can say the kick is good, the 22 men on the field have spread into a 10-yard long scuffle. Nothing that hasn't happened before on the field between these two teams during this game, but this escalates as the first shot is taken. The defensive back for FIU, Chris Smith, goes straight after the holder, Mike Pirelli, and body slams him. Not once the on, holder. Once on the ground, Smith then begins like punching or something. Yeah. Once on the ground, Smith then begins punching Pirelli in the face, with uh, Pirelli already in a near fetal position. At the same time, Marshall McDuffie Jr. of the Panthers sees this and kicks Pirelli in the head with a running start. Christ. Like, it, it almost looked incidental because he's like running in to push the top of the pile, but gets like a really good kick straight to the helmet as he's doing so. Like the clock. Do you guys remember this? Just kind of reminded me of this. Do you remember? It was the Niners, I think Niners Ravens Super Bowl that happened like when we were in college where the like the lights went out for yeah, yeah, like 10 seconds and they came back on and it was just a fucking melee. <laughs> like, yes. As soon as the lights went out, the players just started swinging at each other. That's all it takes. A, a player uh, mashed a bottle and yelled, scatter! <laughs> Brick squad! <laughs> But like the clock striking midnight, this woke up the Miami players who seemed uh, who's upon seeing their teammate get curb stomped, let everything fly. Yeah. 
Players from both sides began to flood the field instantly, with members of every part of the team going full Super Smash Brothers on each other. Miami safety, Brandon Merriweather, is seen stomping on several players. Right, that, that tracks. Anthony like, Re- the, the, yeah. Miami had had a good re- track record of producing safeties along with a bunch of other positions. And like this kind of just goes to show the decline of the program. Because in years prior... You know, they produced, like, safeties who were not only really, really good, but were also, like, highly respected, like Ed Reed and Sean Taylor. Yeah. And then they produced this fucking Brandon Merriweather, just a total shithead. Yeah. And uh, Will it, Hill. Or, no, that was Florida, but yeah, still yeah. Florida. Same state. A spiritual successor, some might say. Yeah. Anthony Reddick, another Miami safety, takes his already off helmet and begins to wield it as a weapon, wildly yeah. swinging at the Panther conglomerate. <laughs> That's one of the most surreal shots of the thing. Yeah, yeah the like you can swing. He has it cocked all the way back, like an over-the-head hammer hit. Several, and I mean several players, are seen driving each other into the turf as the violence explodes all over the field. John Ellis, the five-eleven fullback for FIU, is seen jump punching in the middle of the mosh pit. He's like on the outside of like eight guys, and he's jumping like putting his hand on his shoulder and like leaning in to punch because he's not tall enough to punch the big boys. One of my favorite moments though is number 67 of Miami who in defense of a teammate rushes head first into eight Panthers. Like he's like a bowling ball. Like one of the other linemen is getting like swarmed and he just like bull rushes into all of them to try to knock down the pile. Like juggernaut from the (laughs) X-Men. Honest. It's in this shot that either in celebration or in a panic, you can see the Miami flag runner running with the flag in the background like you would for a celebratory touchdown. The fight's been going on for, like, 45 seconds at this point. Like, he would know that, like, not to do that, but you can see him just, like, running with the big, like, eight-foot flag in the background of the shot. Trying to inspire the boys. Yeah. (laughs) As Merriweather continues to do an Irish jig on new piles of bodies, the announcers go completely silent for well over a minute. The fight, which started in the backfield near the 15-yard line, has exploded to cover now almost 30 yards, with the studio opting to show a wide-angle shot instead of direct violence, because any time they cut close, you could see another person getting punched in the face. Yeah, I tell you, man, I call football (laughs) every week at least once, and I cannot imagine... What like what the fuck we would do if if a melee like this broke out? Yeah, like because like your choices are you either become a boxing announcer and you're just calling the fight, or you just yeah. shut up because right is what else you got? I mean, there's no game anymore. This is this is no longer a football game. I'm very excited for you to hear about one of our future guys coming up who does the absolute worst thing, uh, but we'll get to him shortly enough. After about a minute, everything appears to subdue, if only slightly. Uh, It turned from a brawl into more of a baseball fight. A lot of guys kind of huddled closely, a lot of yelling and a little shoving, but no real action. But right as it feels like the downswing is coming, you can see a body get absolutely violently thrown to the ground in the middle of everyone. The spark reigniting the powder keg and everything unraveling yet again. Now, the sounds of this fight are incredible. While the field mics don't really pick up much of the players actually talking, 
there is a very noticeable roar of the home crowd. Mm-hmm. A static cheering and reactions can be very clearly understood from the increasingly hostile crowd, who at this point is now fighting amongst themselves. Right, yeah, that's a given. Because, I mean, if, the, if everyone on the field is fighting, then yeah, yeah. of course the fans are going to start fighting. Yeah. Like, you might as well. Yeah. You can also hear headsets begin to rustle in the commentary booth. Signs oh, of either yeah. the team being told how to react or reacting themselves to the drama before them. The two teams are separated, but still very much in fight mode as the teams kind of get like ushered back to their sidelines. But I'd be remiss if I didn't mention probably the all time moment that I'm pretty sure if you've heard about this story, you've heard of before. My favorite total member of the fight, if I'm allowed to have such a thing, has to be the star running back for FIU, Ahmad Ned. See, Ned was injured heading into the game, but that didn't stop him from making his presence known during the fight. As he elected to use his own crutches as a weapon, swinging them at people during the brawl. I mean, if you're on crutches and you get in a fight, <laughs> yeah. what, el- what else yeah. are you going to do? Yeah. yeah. It's it's uh it's cowboy Bob Orton using his cast as a weapon. Like it's probably going to hurt me, but it's going to hurt you a fuck of a lot. After a long silence, the commentary team finally breaks their pause to say this. Well, the word flag on your screen is as insignificant as anything else you would see graphic-wise today. But our color commentator and probably yes. if I had more to say about him would be my total guy, Lamar Thomas, this had, is so good. had this to say immediately after that. Now that's what I'm talking about. You come into our house, you should get your behind kicked. You don't come in here playing that stuff. You cross the city. You can't come into this place talking that noise. Get your butt kicked. I was about to go down the elevator and get in that thing myself. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> the absolute Worst, like you could, you could say anything. You could say, "I just saw somebody get their ass kicked." You could say, "Damn, he got knocked the fuck out." It wouldn't be as bad as saying, "That's what I'm talking about." I wanted to join that shit. <laughs> now, Jesus. cooler heads prevailed, and after a minute of reflection, Lamar followed up with, "Why don't they meet outside after the game and get it on some more?" Yeah, well, he had all of the time for somebody in his ear to go, "Shut the fuck up." Like, he look, had all the you, time in his own head to be like, if you hey. just if you had only said that to start with, yeah, it, it would have been okay. So you could have been like, look, this is not the place for this. You want to yeah. do this, do it outside the stadium yeah. elsewhere. Like, yeah, that's okay. But yeah, doubling down is just yeah. not, I don't think that's the yeah. move there. Lamar, of course, was a former Miami player himself and the kind of like color commentator that like helps shed some light on like how the players are feeling and like the atmosphere on the field. And he absolutely said the correct Miami thing, but the wrong person thing. Yeah. Yeah. The wrong thing as far as keeping your job goes, which brings me to my next sentence. Lamar was promptly fired Sunday morning from Comcast. Yeah. uh, The, uh, them editing out his comments during the skirmish, but showing the game in its entirety on the replays minus Lamar. It's one of the all-time great uncomfortable comments. It's a rare moment, but a classic yeah. when a commentator says something and you know that they're that this yeah. is the last game they're ever going to call. Like, 
he was like even before the fight, like he was like kind of joking. Um, and um, he had said this. Uh, there was like some shoving, and he said, um, "With all the pushing and shoving back in the day, we would have told these guys meet us at Commandment Park. Let's get it on without pads. We don't need no fans out there. We would have been beating them down." But this is a whole different era. This is moments before the brawl. He says this, like, like when keeping it real goes wrong times a thousand. Which, so what? What do you think was was worse? Was it this, or of course, what happened to Brenneman in Cincinnati a couple years ago? But that yeah. was that was a hot mic. But <laughs> yeah. this, or who was the college football announcer who who did the that's kind of gay? Yeah, I, I, I was just thinking about that because I. I yeah. Yeah, I just rewatched this video, but it was in like a mat game. I remember Northern Illinois was playing somebody, yeah. and the 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 uh, play by play guy was saying like, uh, "You have to like gently, you know, caress yeah. the ball." And the and the color commentator just chucks, <laughs> "That's kind of gay." And yeah. I, I just remember someone in the comments explaining like, because there is a pause for yeah. about five seconds to describe like that five seconds is. A guy realizing that his career is over. <laughs> you don't get to hear that very much. It's it's the uh, for a more modern one and a deep uh, drive left field from Castellanos. Like it's it's yeah. one of those like you know your career's over, but you're 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 trying to hope no one else noticed. Yeah. <laughs> um, the referees spent then several minutes tracking down and tallying all the penalties incurred. In total, thirteen players were given 15-yard penalties and were ejected from the game. You can go to uh, FIU's play-by-play, like, box score, because they had, like, they still have this up on their website, their athletic website, and you can pull it up. And I have it here, um, the box score. Um, first and goal at the UM35, penalty on sportsmanlike conduct, which I alluded to. First and goal, penalty on sportsmanlike conduct, offsetting. Penalty FIU on sportsmanlike conduct, offsetting. No play. Players ejected. UM 22, 27, 34, 71, 79, FIU 1, 22, 24, 26, 27, 47, 87, 96. Mm-hmm. Jesus. That's yeah. about right. Yes. Um, Miami won 35 nothing, but no one gives a shit. <laughs> um, after all of this, 18 players from FIU and 30, or sorry, 13 players from Miami were t- uh, suspended. A total of 31 from the game. Um, Brandon Merriweather was suspended indefinitely. I wasn't able to find exactly when he came back, but they were like, no, y- you can't. He um, might have, he, he, that might have been the year he entered the draft. Like, he might just not yeah. have come back. Um, we talk about, like, the absolute worst things to say with time to think about it. Uh, head, co- head coach Coker had this to say. I think no, this will not. affect the image of the program, but in a very positive way. This won't be a negative for the University of Miami. This was a guy flailing. This is a guy who also knows 99% chance I'm going to be getting fired soon. I might as well just go all in on the 1%. Coker was fired at the end of the season, but allowed to coach the bowl game as um, Miami was 6-6 and and barely made a bowl. (laughs) Um, But one of the best things, and there's a um, a great article um, that was from Deadspin about this, uh, mostly talking about uh, Ahmad Ned and how just captivating he was. Deadspin really loved Ahmad Ned, but they found an incredible thing on uh, FAU's website, or sorry, I'm sorry, uh, University of Miami's website. Um, they basically had a program 
called Join a Team, Not a Gang, where the Hurricanes teamed up with local police to try to get like kids off the street and to attend Miami games, show them college a little bit, and just gives them like a positive experience. Oh, no. Um, this is directly from the University of Miami's website from the time. Witness the Join a Team, Not a Gang page on the Miami Hurricanes, which a reader pointed uh, out. This is um, Deadspin talking. The Miami-Dade uh, Police Department will bring about 700 children to the Miami First FIU game as a part of this program. They brought a fuckload of kids to this program and showed them this. I mean, I guess this is still better than gang violence. You know? <laughs> <laughs> At like, least nobody, this was all hand-to-hand combat. <laughs> nobody died. Um, yeah. yeah. At least not that day. Yeah. So, so all told, this... Uh, this game, 31 players suspended, uh, a commentator gets fired, and a coach gets fired. Absolute uh, carnage. Yeah. Massacre of a football game, yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, like, Miami in total, I, I didn't, like, fully bring this up, but, like, their season plummeted so fucking hard. Let me pull it up real quick. But basically, like, fans in Miami stopped giving a shit almost immediately um, about this. Uh if you go to the attendance and like game recaps, it is embarrassing what ended up happening. So attendance at the first game versus Florida State, which was number 11, and they were ranked number 12, 71,000 were in attendance. By the time it came to the FIU game, which was again at home at the Orange Bowl, 51,000 in attendance. The final home game of the year against number 18 Boston College to secure a bowl spot, 23,000 in attendance. Like the whole yeah. program nearly imploded on itself. That's yeah. That's yeah. You don't like that. Yeah. But with everything said about this fight, this brings me to my big question. Out of everyone that I've discussed here, whether it be um, Coker, the head coach, or um, Lamar in the booth, or any of the players on the field, I want you to pick your fighter for this. Who you got? <clears throat> oh man. Um. I'm going with Ahmad Ned because he's clearly just a total psycho. Uh, and also he's armed. So yeah, that's uh if we're if we're doing um if we're playing Street Fighter, that's that's my pick. If I could be somebody in all this, I'm totally Lamar Thomas. Um <laughs> like not actually having to get in harm's way, just sitting up there talking all the shit I want and then overdoing it and uh, suffering a severe consequence. <laughs> I do feel like that's where I fit in in all this. Yeah. Yeah, immediately getting fired by Comcast because you were just like, man, I'd love to go down and fight some college kids. He spent six years in the NFL, and he's like, I almost went down there. Good answers, both of you. I think I also decide with Ahmad now because he's just like, just, what are you doing, man? Sit down. Just, just sit down. Sit there, eat some popcorn, take it all in. Get, yeah. get back on the bike, like, do a couple more miles, think this out. All right, well, that that was quite the episode of Here's a Guy. Uh, Mayhem Month is uh, in full swing, if I must say. Um, we got one more week of this left. Let's, <laughs> let's see what other twists and turns are uh, in store for us. So um, let's wrap this thing up. Uh, we'll start by doing what we always do. Let's go around the horn, hawk our shit. Cody, where can the people find you? You can find me right here on Here's a Guy on Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. Also on Patreon. We have a Patreon page. That means you should subscribe to it. Five bucks a month. 
We post uh, a lot of uh, extra content there. That's where you'll hear this movie review we've been talking about. Uh, and more importantly, if you don't, I will uh, turn you into a newt. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at sonofgravy42069 and on Blue Sky at Drowned and Gravy. Right, Jack John, where can the people find you? Uh, people can find me on Twitter, Papa underscore Jack John. You can find me on my personal Twitch page at Papa Jack John. I'm doing a lot more streams recently. It's been a ton of fun getting back into doing that. Uh, so come check out, uh, type Death to Jack John in chat. Uh, I want to see if Automod uh, picks it up and blocks it. You can find me on Twitter at Turban for Prez. Uh, you can find me on Blue Sky at Turban for Prez as well. Um, follow the podcast account as well. It's at Here's a Guy Pod. And we have a mailbox. I think this is the first time we mention it, but. Um, on this episode, we profusely <laughs> mentioned it otherwise. Uh, I, I like the bit where you're like, oh, I don't know if you guys knew. We have this. We do have a mailbox. Uh, here's a mailbox at gmail.com. Uh, send us whatever you like. Uh, comments, suggestion, feedback, questions, hackling. If we like it enough, we'll read it on the show. All right. Well, it's going to take me some time to recover from this one, I think. Um, <laughs> but uh, we got one more thing to do, and that is, uh, Cody, if you have a tagline, I'd love to hear it. Yes, yes, I do. Uh, well, you know what? Actually, before we get to the tagline, I just want to... God, I just got to get rid of this stupid collar you guys put on me. Let me just wait, adjust wait. Oh, oh, no, no, no. You weren't supposed to. You weren't supposed to. No, no, no.